All right, welcome back to the Identical Draw podcast. This is episode three of our Where Would These People Hunt podcast. We're having great whitetail deer hunters break down different places that we sent them um, via Onyx maps. I think, and just, I think it's been good. I've it, learned yeah. a lot so far. Yeah. Um, hopefully you guys have as well. So this third guest is a good buddy, Mark Kenyon. And I mean, he has probably the biggest whitetail podcast in the nation. Man, he's hunted all over the country. Um, he's hunted a ton in his home state of Michigan. But man, the last few years, it just seems like that guy's on the road during the fall. Yeah. So he's he's accumulated a, a wealth of knowledge. Um, he's looking at maps a ton in the fall. So we shot him a text and he was gracious enough to give us some time and kind of break through, break down what he sees in properties, where he'd hunt, when he'd hunt, why he'd hunt. And got to give it to Mark. He really nailed the 80. Yeah, he did. He uh, He's a calculated guy. Mm-hmm. He's smart. Um, he, probably, he, he mentions that he's a little too calculated probably, sometimes. Yeah, probably the most careful guy we had. Yep. Um, just thinking through it. Uh, he, a lot of like some pauses, like his first ideas, and then it shifted into this. Yep. Um, but yeah, super knowledgeable guy. Yep. We have him go over Michigan, um, Iowa, an Iowa chunk, and then of course the 80 at the end. Yep. So, um, Again, if if you're new to this, you can watch this on YouTube. I think YouTube's the best place to watch this and to listen to it because you can see the maps that we're talking about. You can see our guests. You can see us having the conversation with them. Um, Yeah, but hopefully these have been great learning tools. And uh, let's get into the podcast with Mark. Sweet. All right. Thanks for joining us, Mark. Um, as we've done with a few other folks, we've got we've got some waypoints that we want you to look at and just give us just jumping in like you've never been there before. Um, what we kind of said with when we recorded with Clean Newcomb is like if somebody came to your house and like like put a bag over your head and then dropped you off in this piece and you're like, okay, you have a full day to hunt. You just pop up your maps for the first time. You're like, oh, that's kind of where I'd start. Um, or I don't know if you have uh, the waypoint up. We'll start in Michigan um, and just take a look at that piece and just right out of the gate, just kind of talk about what are the first few features that that you're going to pay attention to. Hey, throw me right in the fire. Not going to like some foreplay here. I know. Um, so, all right. So this is in Michigan. Yep. And it is public land. Yep. And it's in the northern half of the state. So I do know a little bit about the northern half of the state as far as terrain, as far as, you know, deer density, as far as stuff like that. So I'm going to kind of think out loud here. You guys tell me to shut up or to talk about something different. Yeah. So, you know, this is pretty similar to a lot of stuff that I've walked around and hunted around up there where there's lots of timber and water it's pretty wet and so the first thing when i look at this i'm seeing it's you know piece of public land it's 74 ish acres um and it, it is essentially all timber except for what looks like some wet stuff to the east so a couple things i would do here if i was learning a new property just based on a map first thing i'm just looking at the satellite view um the next thing i would do is i'd throw up those topo lines and look in you know, usually when I'm using Onyx, I'll do the high road view. 
you can see the aerial and the um, topography. Now, knowing northern Michigan, there's not significant topography. There's nothing like you know, big coolies in Kansas or, you know, big, steep draws like in Iowa farm country. This is even this, you know, there are, you can see some like low spots, high spots, but it's like very minimal change. I'm sure there's like feet of difference. Yep. So I'm looking at this as, as mostly, um, you know, mostly flat, except for that low stuff where there's that wetland to the east. So I'm looking at the topo. I'm recognizing that there's not a whole lot of big stuff when it comes to, you know, really pushing gear around in a significant way like you might have if there's like 400 foot bluffs. Yep. Um, like I mentioned, I want to see the differences between high ground and low ground when it comes to water. A big thing in Michigan is those wetlands. Wetlands and swamps usually equal deer um, because there's a lot of hunting pressure in Michigan, more so in the southern half. The northern half, not as much, but there's still definitely regions where it can be heavy. Um, swamps and wetlands will keep deer around because it's some place that hunters don't usually go. So I'm always interested and excited to see that. So that catches my eye with this property. Um, so the next thing I'm saying is, okay, I see there's some wetlands there to the east. It extends into a bunch more on the neighbors, probably. Um, now I'm looking for edges. So one of the first places, like if I was going to be laying waypoints to go and scout this in real life, um, one of the very first things I'm interested in is, is walking the edge of that wet stuff. Because as we know, deer are edge creatures, um, so they're going to want to bed near edges. They're going to want to travel along edges. Um, so maybe during the rut, that might be a travel quarter. Buck's going to be walking along that edge of the water, um, scoping stuff out, looking for does that maybe are bedded along those edges. There might be bucks bedded off of the point that extend out into that marshy stuff. There might be, there's kind of like a big island out there, might be deer bedded on that. So those would all be things of interest to me. Um, next thing I'd be looking at would be like, well, what's the food around here? So I've, I've just identified some possible travel. I've just identified some possible bedding. I'm also wondering what are they eating? Um, so I would throw, you know, I'd love to see this in person, but since I can't, I can at least go and see on the layers on my, my app here and see what kind of like oak trees there are. Um, so you can throw on that oak distribution la uh, layer, excuse me. And let me get it up here. Uh, hang with me. Trees, crops, and cover. I'm going to throw up acorn producing oaks. And there's not much. There's like nothing showing up on my map, at least as far as yeah. oaks on there. So are the, is that probably going to be like pine? Or what kind well, of timber you think? Let me tell you next. You can you can pull the deciduous versus coniferous yeah. uh, layer. I'm going to throw that up. And that's showing me that this is almost all deciduous. Cool. with a few little pine areas around there. Gotcha. Um, so that would be you know somewhat unique in that there's usually a lot of pines up in that neck of the woods. Um, it's not like there's no pines in this zone, but this does seem to be like a, a very, um, you know, high ground mixed hardwoods forest is what most of this looks like. And then it transitions into that wetter, brushier stuff. Um, so, you know, I wish I could see a cluster of white oaks or something on here that would be like a screaming food source you could key in on, but I'm not seeing that. There are some crops, um, into neighboring private land, but it's a pretty long way away. We're talking about three quarters of a mile away. There are some crops, um, but that's not too far. Like from my experience in big woods habitat like this, 
where there's not convenient, sexy food right there, um, they absolutely will travel that. Um, one of the places I hunt, uh, I've killed deer with, uh, you can't say this with their, I was going to say I've killed deer with corn in their bellies when we're more than a mile away from corn. But that's not to say there couldn't be people legally baiting around there. That's a possibility. Um, but still, like I know these deer are traveling long distances overnight to get to these, um, you know, uniquely high quality food sources. So this is all long with way of saying, um, I don't see great food on the property I can hunt. I do see some interesting travel. I do see some interesting bedding. So if I were, you know, going to come and hunt this, the first place I'm interested in, since there's no major food source to look at, I'm interested in that far eastern corner mm-hmm. where you've got the wetland, where you've got some kind of transition, where you have that diversity in habitat. So I want to see the island. I want to see those points. I want to see that edge. Um, there's a power line that runs along the southern border that I'm just noticing now. Um, and sometimes, you know, just those openings like that are getting mowed relatively frequently by the power company. That's going to be, you know, some decent food relative to big standing timber. Um, so you might have deer feeding on some green growth down there. I would want to walk the edge of that and scope that out too. Um, so those are my first thoughts Cool. as I'm looking at this. Would you, what do you want to know next? Would your first go at this piece, would you try to do like a midday so you have daylight on your side going in there? Or would you like, oh, I'm going to go super early in the dark to try to get back here so I can just see everything wake up? What would be your your go-to there? Yeah, um, so my answer is the same regardless, but I do. I am curious just to help color my explanation here. What time of year am I well, going to that was the next question what time of the year would you want to be here? If you had like the full fall deer hunting season open to where I could, you could hunt this any, any given week, what week would that property okay. interest you? Am I, am I allowed to have a, have I scouted it in real life yet? Or am I like, no, I'm showing you're, up. You're showing hunt, up starting opening day. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I would be going on midday. Absolutely. I don't want to go on blind and commit myself to a spot without seeing it. Yep. Um, so I would want to start early. If I could be out here and open it out, I would do it. Um, give me opening day. Um, especially in a place like Michigan where, you know, there's, you know, not to jump on the cliche of Michigan hunted so much, but it just is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that first day or two, is so much different than the next three or four weeks yep. in most places, unless you have that extra special control over a large area. So I would love to go in there midday or late morning, you know, that first day of opening day when I know deer back to bed, mm-hmm. um, and I can see, and I would have my saddle and sticks and everything ready to go. And I would scout my way in, um, you know, it's going to depend on wind direction. Of course, if I could even do that, if I have like a due West wind or something that's blowing from the access, into all the bedding, you know, that would be super risky and I probably wouldn't risk it then. I think I'd be waiting for a wind direction that I could work in here with. That's, that's the challenge of this piece of land is that with your predominant westerly winds here, um, you know, you're blowing from the access point into the entire property. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to pick and choose your timing. Um, I think you could hunt, you know, with some southerly winds, you could work up that north edge. Um, if you had some northerly winds, you could work down that southern edge. Um, but, you know, depending on when I have the right conditions to do this. Perfect world, I've got a wind direction that's not blowing straight into the west, and I've got some wind or some rain mm-hmm. 
so that I could sneak my way in there carefully without making too much noise and eyeball it as I go. So if I'm going in there on opening day, you know, I'm looking for, you know, there's not going to be tons of sign at that point as far as like rutting signs, but I am looking for old signs. So I want to see like any rubs from last year that could indicate, you know, if I see a concentration of year old rubs that tells me, well, last year, you know, they're either rutting in here or there's a buck bedded down the zone. So that's going to help me. Um, you certainly could be finding rubs from velvet peel at that point. And, you know, they're, they're going to be, you know, slowly showing more and more. So that's interesting to me. Um, if I see like some absolutely shredded stuff that's fresh on October 1st, I'm keying in on that like right away. And that's like big alarm bell to pay attention to this because that's relatively unique. Yep. Um, but yeah, so I'm slowly going to be working my way from east to west. Um, I'm most interested in seeing what that back edge looks like between the hardwoods high ground and that kind of marshy, grassy stuff there that's towards the south and the southeast. So I would be just working my way through there. And the first time when I really see significant deer signs, it doesn't even need to be that fully shredded up, gnarly stuff yet. Um, I'm okay on October 1st if I have all season to work my way through there. I don't need to be mega aggressive the very first day in. If I'm just approaching this as, hey, I'm trying to learn it and I have time, um, I'm interested in working my way from outside in. Um, so concentration of just deer tracks and a bunch of droppings and like pot up leaves might be enough to say, okay, you know, they're eating some kind of mass here or they're feeding on maple leaves or something or there's some kind of early successional growth they're interested in. Um, and I'm still in learn mode and I have all the time in the world, I'm going to do an observation set maybe and see, you know, so maybe I'm halfway from east to west and I'm down on my edge where you can see in the area that it kind of transitions there in the southern edge to like, it might be like brushy, shrubby, you know, grassy stuff. Um, that'd be a great place to set and, and just watch and learn. And, you know, as October progresses or as my, you know, observations tell me, I'm going to work my way further and further west so that either you know, I've seen something or the sign indicates that I should be deep there, you know, deep to the far right. Um, or if, you know, observations and sign aren't telling me, but it's October 25th or 27th or 28th. Um, at that point, you know, it's full blown free rot stuff to pop at any moment. That's when I want to be like in the good stuff towards the back where you've got that major transition from hardwoods to the water and the marsh back on those islands or those edges. Um, and really, you know, getting aggressive at that point. Yep. But uh, I don't need to do that on day one if I don't know anything and I've got a lot of time. Yep. Are you going to be uh, <clears throat> bringing, like, hip waders, or are you just going to be like, ah, I might just be getting my boots wet? I wouldn't bring them in on day one when I just don't know yet. Um, but, you know, as I'm, as that, you know, after that first day, hopefully I'm messing around in there. And, and you know, honestly, You know, as I say all this, if I had all season, but if I couldn't have started till October 1st, I might do what I just described on that, on day one and day two because those are special days where you do have a little bit better chance than usual. So I would probably, you know, on it. But, you know, after that pass, and it's October 3rd, 4th, 5th, 10th, 11th, 12th, I would probably take the first day I could and actually burn the place. Mm. Um, so if I gave it a hunt or two, careful and observe, I would not be afraid on October 3rd to go walk right back to the best stuff. Like just take one day, 
and rip the bandaid off and say, I'm going to learn this today and I'm never going to do this again, but I'm going to walk all that good stuff that I really want to know. And then I'm going to stay out, you know, probably a couple of weeks, but knowing now I actually know what I'm getting into on October 27th or the 30th or November 1st. Um, so that, you know, if I put foot my way every single time, then I'm, I'm, you know, possibly not knowing what I really have to work with and, and, and never being able to take advantage of that when the timing is right. So that's probably what I would do. I would spend a day and figure out, do I need hip players to reach the best place? Is there an absolutely tore up Island back there that a buck has been living on that, you know, on the 27th, I can go and take a stab at him in a smart way. Um, I want to know all that. And I'm not worried like a one-time intrusion like that, that you're know, busting up really big time. Um, you know, that's not the end of the world. Yep. And this is public land, So there are going to be other people that who knows what they're doing. Um, so I would much rather be informed versus being blind, but trying to protect the whole thing arbitrarily when I really don't have control over it in the first place. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't bring hip waders unless I absolutely had to. I would do that first hunt or two, take a little bit of this, learn a little bit. And if that doesn't work out, then it's, you know, let's really figure this place out quick. And then I can be really calculated from there on. Cool. So one of the last things I ask people on each piece is if there's one truck on that piece, are you bouncing to something new or you're like, "Mm, it's probably thick enough. I'm still interested. I'd, I'd hunt it with one truck there. Or you're like, Nope, one truck's there. I'm out. when you come rolling up to a trailhead parking lot and you're just like in your head like, oh, yeah. please no, please no, please no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it would be, you know, a little bit dependent on, you know, hopefully I'm learning a little bit about what kind of pressure's there mm-hmm. um, and what it looks like in there. But let's say it's like super thick and I know that maybe it's wetter than I realized I'm looking at the map here and maybe it requires you have to go through some swampy stuff even to get to that back corner. And if on my big day where I did a lot of scouting, I found a bunch of stands, but you know, within a couple hundred yards of the road. Um, and then I know at least as of October 4th, like, man, there was no sign of people in the back, no cameras in the back, but a lot of stuff up towards the front. If I knew all that and I saw a truck there, you know, I would certainly still give it a try, mm-hmm. but it is only 75, 75 acres, which is a pretty small piece of public that could get, you know, it could get crowded real fast. Yeah. Um, so it'd be dependent on those things I just said. And how excited am I? Like how confident and excited am I about what's back in there? Like if I had some cameras and knew there was like a big boy that was just like in there all the time, or if I found like screaming hot sign and it was getting better and better, I knew like, gosh, like there's something worth getting after, I would do it. But if all my scouting efforts had turned up like nothing too terribly exciting, and now there's a guy in there, I would hopefully have some other options that would be more promising that you know, it would be worth my time. Yep. Cool. That's great. Anything else in that piece? I think we move. Okay. Sweet. Next one is in the, uh, great state of Iowa. Oh, Iowa. Land of dreams. All right. I am there. Okay. So do you have questions for me out the gate or do you want me to kind of walk through my yeah. thoughts? As I'm yes. looking at? For the, for the, for the listener that's not watching, um, it's about a, it's a two seventy two um, acre piece, um, mixed of timber and crops with some water looks like. Yep. In, in central Iowa, I'd say so. 
Um, yeah, just dive right in. The first few features that just your eyes go to right off the bat. All right. Well, the first thing I noticed is that this place is surrounded by crops and almost zero cover. Yep. It's all big ag land. So it's like, you know, what most people think Iowa is when they drive down the highway and they just see corn and beans forever, you know, for as far as they look. Well, that's kind of what this zone looks like, um, with the exception of this piece of public and a little stretch down to the southeast, where we've got you know a large body of water that then either uh, is draining into where we're going or is draining from where we're hunting. But basically, there's a big creek that runs through this piece of public land and uniquely has like, the most cover around for quite a ways, except for right next to that big body of water. Yep. Um, so the first thing that scream out to me are good bedding for the, you know, relative to the area and like an awesome travel corridor, like awesome cruising funnel. Um, you've got these, you know, big deep S bends with lots of timber and brush around them um, that without a doubt there's deer bedding in and you have crop fields or CRP or something on either side of them, even on the public land. Mm -hmm. So that all stands out to me. Um, you know, if this was private land, I would be like, oh man, easy, you know, pinch points here and here where it gets really narrow, um, obvious stand sites, but it's public and some of those obvious stand sites, uh, where the timber pinches the tightest around the creek there is also pretty close to parking lots. So now I've got like, eh, the mixed feelings about this place because like there's a thick little tiny pinch point that's like 64 yards wide. Like I'd be jumping all over that most places, but it's only the, you know, it's 400 yards from the road, or 400 yards from the parking lot and you know, 280 yards from the closest road site. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about now. I'm a little worried. Gosh, that could be great, but it could also be, you know, the spot that every other hunter throws a tree stand. Yep. Same thing. There's another one where it gets really tight, and that's about 564 yards from the parking lot. Um, so what I need to figure out, one of the first things I need to figure out is, like, what's the pressure like? Um, you know, this is kind of out in the middle of nowhere-ish. As I'm zooming, I'm looking, you know, is there's not, like, a major, major metro by it. Um, so maybe, maybe it's overlooked. Maybe there's not a lot of guys that get in there. And if that's the case, maybe I can hunt those obvious locations. Um, but if it's pounded, I got to get a little bit more creative. Um, so they're feeding likely out on the neighboring private land. They're bedding in the timber along the edge of this creek, um, in those little F bends lots of times. That's where I'm assuming there's going to be deer bedded. Um, you know, it does look like there is some topography along the creek. So there's like some points extending out. Um, yeah, it's hard to say exactly how substantial they are to look at this. They don't seem super substantial. Um, looks like, you know, 1,080 feet at the top, um, 1,090 at the top, maybe 1,060 at the bottom. So we're not talking huge ridges here. We're talking relatively subtle topography, but still like there's some points extending out there that could, there could be deer bedded on. Um, you know, anytime there's these oxbows and creeks or rivers, deer like to be hugged up inside of those. Yep. So, you know, that's something I'm looking at. Um, 
Now I do want to turn on my uh, oak layer just to see what these trees are. And there are a bunch of oaks in there. So that is a little bit unique in that they won't necessarily only be feeding on the private land surrounding us. Um, there's going to be some mass on the ground, hopefully, on a good year. So some of these deer will just be hanging out in there, you know, mm-hmm. during the daylight hours, possibly bedding in those places I just described and feeding around in the timber on the edges because it does seem like there's a pretty good amount of oaks in this. Um, so that changes your thoughts a little bit. Um, one other thing worth noting, I think here, as I would be, you know, thinking out loud here, but as I would be considering my hunt plan, as I mentioned, I do have worries about like being close to that road and hunting pressure in that parking lot. Well, there is a very interesting little like easement or something that comes in mm-hmm. off of a different road. It doesn't seem to be a parking lot there. Maybe like there's a little drive on the private land, but yeah. I don't necessarily for sure a parking lot on the public. So that might be a place where people don't usually access the property from, and that would be a way to access the very farthest southeast corner of this public land, as far as you could possibly be from the parking lot. This little easement could get you in there without having to walk through the whole property. Mm-hmm. So that little zone down there intrigues me. Um, it busts up into some of that ag. There's some brushy, grassy, shrubby stuff down there. Um, there's a point overlooking that creek. So that zone down in the southeast is of interest to me because of that, you know, distance from parking. Yep. So I would say those are the things that stand to me. This screams like rut hunting because of those pinch point locations. I just need to confirm like what's the pressure. So if I were showing up early in October, that's what I want to figure out is, um, you know, are there a bunch of guys in here? Is this getting pounded? I would probably take a similar approach to what I just told you in Michigan. Like I like if I have the time and if I couldn't scout in the preseason, I still want at least one good day out there to really figure it out. So, you know, I might go in for that first day or two with kind of like a observe, but you know, be in a spot that I like. And if that doesn't work out, then I will do the burn it down day where I really mess it up, but I really learn it. And then that puts me in a position where once I get into late October, which is where, you know, usually I'm expecting to have that beginning of that uh, possible activity leading through November. Um, you know, then I would be getting smart about using what I learned. Mm-hmm. I would think, um, you know, once you get to November 1st or whatever, you'd be hunting those pinch points. Hopefully we found somewhere where there's not hunting pressure and you can still take advantage of one of those pinches. Um, you know, if not, the second thing I'd be thinking about is like that far southeast corner or the northeast corner-ish where there's that biggest concentration of timber. On, I'd like to get on the other side of the creek maybe from the parking lot. So you have to maybe do a creek crossing or two to get back there. If that's also good doe bedding, um, I would like that. There's also a corner um, at the far eastern side, upper northeast, where that creek winds around and it does pinch down again going into the neighbors. So that becomes like a, there's actually a pretty tight pinch there, but you have to cross the creek several times to get there. Um, and it goes from like the biggest the timber gets on the public to the tiniest it really gets in that creek flow. That, that would be another interesting place in the rut where you might be able to avoid some of the pressure while still taking advantage of being downwind of that bedding and in a tight spot. 
Um, those would be a couple of places that I would focus my scouting efforts and that I think, you know, might be worth your time. So let's say you didn't, like, there's no scouting option for this. You just, you got dropped off. Let's say it's November 7th. Um, where, and like, let's just, for this, let's say you can like, you can, don't, don't worry about the wind. You can just plop. You have to pick one spot on that piece to hunt. Like what, what, like, where are you going if the wind's right? Okay. Um, I would be, I'm going to be optimistic here. And I'm going to say, I'm going to paint the snare I want. And the snare that I want is that because this is kind of small and kind of out there, I'm going to say that all the other public land hunters have been mostly looking past it. Yep. And it hasn't been getting pounded. Um, and so because of that, the obvious pinch points are still, you know, deer are still moving through those. Now I'm going to avoid that first pinch point. The first two pinch points I looked at that were, even though they look really nice and they're really narrow, you know, we're talking 60, you know, 60 yards across or 70 yards across. I'm going to still operate with the belief that there's still been some stuff going through there. Um, I'm going to take that last place I described to you guys, just because I like the fact So this would be the far Eastern border. Um, where that largest chunk of timber pinches down at the neighbor's property line. Yep. And so what I like about that the most is that it's still a really narrow pinch point. Um, but it, you know, if there is some, some does bedding, if there's, like, there's gotta be some does bedding in that larger chunk there, if this place isn't getting pounded. So if this place isn't getting absolutely demolished, there's going to be does bedding up in that larger timber system. There's going to be bucks that are working that whole corridor. Yep. Um, and there's going to be some that are going to trickle out there to the east onto the neighbors, continuing down that way, down that creek. Um, and what I like about it is it pinches them down. I'm going to assume we usually have westerly winds. That kind of sets up nicely with, like, a you know, you have a northwest or southwest wind and hunt either side of that creek there and be downwind of all that bedding, but in a pinch point, and you're multiple creek crossings away from the other public hunting access. Right. So I would like, you know, thinking out loud here, maybe I would come in from the east through that easement, walk that walk that to the edge of the cross, and then somehow, you know, I guess it depends on what's playing out there, and if there's deer all feeding those fields, you know, then that, you, you'd have to rethink things. But let's just say it's standing corn. Um, and so I feel safe about cutting across that standing corn and working that east edge of the property all the way up into that little tiny pinch point there. Mm -hmm. And now I've not had to walk through any of that good bedding. I've left that completely set free. And I'm hoping that there will still, even though they're standing corn, you know, they're still going to cruise, even though it's, you know, it's different kind of pinch point. I mean, it'd be a much better pinch point, I guess, if the standing corn wasn't there. But right. um, either way, that I think would be my best place to start. It's not too close to public. It's a tight pinch. It's down with the dough bedding. Um, and it's in this zone that you would think would have a good number of does. Better. Yeah. That's my, my first gut instinct. Nice. And if did you had, did I win? Yeah, that's that great. If you had the full, if you had a full, <laughs> any, any full week of the season, you're, I mean, you're going to be late October, early November. Are you going to be mid November? Well, what would you think? 
I would, I would probably start more late October. Yeah. Um, to try to catch it before it's too blown up without state hunters. Yeah, that's a good call. So maybe give me like October 27 through November 3rd or something so that you're still catching that cruising. Like this screams cruising bucks to me. Um, but maybe I can get there before that big flurry of guys that show up on the first. So I have yeah. a few days free, free peak pressure. Um, that would probably be my. Yeah, that's good. Our, I think our best public land <clears throat> encounter we ever had, it was in Kansas, but I think it was October 28th and nobody was hunting it yet. And we, I mean, we had an amazing encounter. Um, but it's just like, I think that time frame that, I mean, even, even for me, I'd even go up to like October 20th. That's kind of my bread and butter for hunting the really good whitetail stuff in other States that I know is going to get hit really hard in two to three weeks for sure. Um, yeah. I love that. The last 10 days. Yeah. Mark, same, same question with, uh, with cars and other hunters. Um, let's say that East spot, that little like access there is, is open, but you've got one in that, in that main parking lot, um, on the West side. Are you, are you still diving in? I think I'm still diving in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of interesting locations where I could see, you know, another hunter wanting to post up on one of the pinch points and things. Um, it doesn't help you, but if I could get that far east side, you're still, you know, you're how far you're here. thousand yards or so almost from the parking lot. Um, I'm going to hope that he's going to find something appealing to him well before he ever gets back to me. Um, and with a west wind, let's say, westerly, you might be blue his wind through all that but that you know might push deer as far east as possible so if there's a buck that's cruising down this creek we're just going to assume he's cruising that right along the edge of the creek and if i'm going to assume that this hunter doesn't really know what he's doing he's hunting that west side because it's the first thing he gets to and he's hunting one of those other, other pinch points you know, any buck that's cruising will wind him and bump towards the east and continue off heading to the easterly direction which would send them to me yeah Nice. Good plan. Any other questions on this piece? Um, I don't think so. I think that's pretty solid. Um, <clears throat> I guess maybe one wrap up thing that I have question on is would you, um, with all the ag around is food source even going to be like a thought in your mind? Or is it just going to be like, I'm simply going to just try to catch the best movement area? Because I feel like at least for, for an October one opener, <clears throat> I feel like people will still be like wanting to hunt field edges, wanting to, wanting to see as much as they can still focus on like wanting to sit, especially if it's in beans and things like that. Or are you on a property like this? You're just like, man, I just want the best, the best travel route, which you've already given. So it just depends on when I'm hunting there. Yeah. So like if I'm there for just my one week, yeah. then I, in like October 27th through November 3rd, I don't care about the food really. Yep. Um, you know, assuming that there's quality food all around, yep. right? Right. If, if for some reason, like there's, if, if one part of this area has been, you know, left unplanted for the season or something and it's just dead, but then you've got a freshly cut cornfield on one side that might change my opinion on things a little bit because all of a sudden there's like one corner where all of the does are going to want to go feed. Yeah. Well then that's going to push me up there because if all the does are going to go yeah. feed there. Then that's where the box are going to be. 
but if all things are equal, if there's like an equal distribution on all sides of me of like a mixture of corn and, you know, some standing, some, you know, some cut, some beans, if there's nothing that's really screaming out like, hey, this is the hot thing right now, um, I'm going to stick with that best travel corridor at that time of year. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's, if I'm there to hunt the first couple of days of the season, if that's my thing, like that's my time, October 1st, 2nd, 3rd, then yeah, food then becomes like a big part of the equation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to figure out like, you know, Hey, is there a bean field that's got planted late and there's still some green in there? Then I, I want to key in over there. Yep. Um, you know, that kind of thing. And like I said, there are a bunch of oaks too. So again, that's another big picture consideration in October. That's where that big scout day is going to play into it a lot. So if I'm hunting early season and I go in there and scout my way in, I, I will be basically if October 1st, if I don't do a drive by and see some green beans somewhere. Now my next thing is, okay, this is, you know, mainly going to be trying to catch one of these bucks milling around there in the timber feeding under some white goats. In that case, then that's what I'm really looking for. Um, either on those first couple of days of hunting, or if I go and do my major speed scout, I want to identify those best clusters of white oaks if yep. they're in there. Um, and that would be a thing to be keying in on then. Yep. Great. Awesome. Well, should we jump to another great state? Yes. Which is uh, Kansas. Mm-hmm. It's got me drooling over here about all the places that look amazing. Yeah. And is this piece like, uh, are you guys like telling people what this property is? Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're being, we're being open that this is the Kansas city and, uh, okay. um, yeah, I, we're, we're having everybody kind of look at it and break it down and see if there's, there's a trend that, uh, um, everybody kind of picks out. So, um, at, like we'll give a little, a little information just from what you can see there. Um, 80 acres, obviously north to south. Um, the the opening there is you can see is, is pasture. Besides the the dark, like almost um, hourglass type look, that's um, half corn, half beans. Um, and we have yeah. other um, we have other smaller clover plots in there that you just can't see from from up above. So, um, but I guess we'll ask you the same same questions. Kind of break down um, initial reaction. Um, Again, if you if you had a single day, like what what really just jumps out at yeah, if you didn't have a if you didn't have a scout day. Yeah. Uh, let me pull up my favorite layers here again real quick. So it looks like you guys do have a bunch of oaks, supposedly. Is that true? That is correct. Yep, that's correct. Okay. So you got this big food source there, your big acre. How many acres is that food plot? Uh, I think total we're looking at around four acres. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so not acres. not huge. And then what about on your on your neighbors? Like, is that planted or is that pasture? Like all your like your neighbors feel there to the south and east, south and the road to the west. Is that? Yep, directly south is is pasture grass, and then to the to the south, um, east, and then directly east is all always planted corner beans. And same with north and uh, west. Okay, so most of your food is, so the south is all bedding. Uh-huh. Most of your food is to your north, your northeast, and your northwest. So do you generally have, I mean, based on that, I just might make some assumptions that there's deer, you know, 
not knowing how thick it is in there. Now I know I've watched some of your stuff. I know you guys have been doing a decent bit of TSI in there. I remember like there's some spots kind of on the creek maybe that are like super thick, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not knowing anything, I see like you've got this creek that runs through kind of the eastern half of your 80s. And, you know, what's interesting is you've got this big opening on your west side, which is your big food plot, and then the rest is all timber. And from the aerial view, you can't really see, like, a whole lot of diversity in there. You can't really see any defining features. There's no real defining features of your 80 uh-huh. other than the fact that there's the creek, and then there's some topography on either side of the creek. So there's, like, a very subtle kind of creek drainage that runs through there. So it's a little bit higher on either side, right? Yep. Um, I'm assuming, I guess I don't know how significant um, that island here and see how much, how significant this drop-off is. But it looks like there's some points. Are these noticeable points? Like, is this like 30, 40 feet high? Something like that? Yeah, I think like maybe like the biggest difference from creek to our highest point would be like maybe 100 feet. Maybe. Like, yeah, maybe. Like, in, like maybe Probably in less the than that, but I mean, 50 to 80 yeah. foot range. So not a ton, but... Enough that it look it, it seems a tad hilly when you're on it. Yeah. Okay. So that that's probably also enough to dictate some travel and some bedding by year two, I would assume. Yep. Um. So you know, I'm thinking, all right, there's probably bucks and doe family groups taking advantage of that topography to bed on those points, um, a little bit. So, you know, your southeast corner has got like an interesting little uh, knob point sticking out over the creek that I would be like, oh, I wonder if there's a buck bedded off that little point down there. Um, I would assume that during the rut, there's cruising going along these ridges that run to the left side and right side of that creek. So if I'm thinking rut hunt, I'm definitely interested in digging into that creek. The creek is a defining feature for me um, that I would be zeroing in on. Um, and I'm assuming again, based on the fact that it's just pasture to my south and to my southern half, it seems like that's mostly pasture. I'm going to assume that the major travel pattern would be from bedding in the south or southeast, or, you know, really wherever they are, they're going to be moving northerly or out to the northwest or northeast where the main food sources are and probably utilizing your four acre food plot as a transition point along that route. So you're probably having deer maybe that are, there's got to be some good bedding there in that southeast corner, I'm going to say, somewhere in that southern easterly half or third. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some movement that's going from the southeast, that's heading northwesterly, transitioning to your forager cornfield, feeding in there hopefully, and then eventually moving out to the north or west to feed in your neighbor crop, crop, crop fields. Yep. So if that's the case, there's going to be dough bedding along the outside of that food source along those little ridges and points. So I'm going to say, all right, there's probably some good doe bedding um, in your, you know, out 100 yards, 150 yards out from that cornfield. So, all right, doe hotspot off that point, doe hotspots along there. So with all that being said, um, there's also going to be bucks that are cruising those ridges during the rut to scent check all that. Yep. Um. So those things are keen on. There's a bunch of oaks, so there's also some feeding going on in the timber. There's not like, I'm just trying to zoom out and think through like all the other things I'd be thinking about. Your access is a little tricky. Um, I would guess because you've got 
you know, your actors from the West. And it's, I'm, I'm going to assume you have mostly westerly winds, maybe southwesterly in that part of the country um, as your most common. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, then I'm next thinking, like, man, how do I hunt this during the rut without blowing it up? Um, if I'm coming in the rut, I don't care about blowing it up, I guess, as much if I'm coming in the morning. So this might be a situation where I would, you know, wait to hunt it during the rut. And then I would go in there super early in the morning with my wind blowing across the whole thing, but I'm going in there super early knowing that hopefully all the deer are out in the crop fields and their neighbors, I can get back into there. I can get on the east side of the creek. Maybe would be what I would do. Um, well, they might be cruising that west side though, with a west wind. And I would get just east of that. Um, there's a lot, a lot going through the mind, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I would be keying in on that corridor in one way or another during the rut. Cause I just, you know, not knowing a lot about the area, I'm assuming yep. that's betting on those ridges. I'm assuming they're going to travel along in either way to connect the dots. They kind of, there's a little bit of a, you've got a couple pinches on your neighbors to the east where they're going to be, if they're, if they want to connect from your 80 to anything else further to the east, they're either following that little point that's like dead center of yours, or they're coming into your northeast corner and cutting in there. So I would look at those as like, especially that northeast corner, kind of is a tighter funnel by virtue of the pasture on your neighbors and the creek coming in there. So if that's like super thick and gnarly, and there's some doe bedding up on those um, on those points and ridges there on your north half, um, that intriguing to me um yeah, so here's a question uh say it is say you wanted to hunt the the late october into november time frame are you doing one of your burn days where you're like you're gonna hunt it for a few days and then like if you're not getting a lot of traction three four days are you gonna you're gonna walk this thing just like learn it really well or during that time frame you're like just just time in the stand just got to move around in the stand. Yeah. And I've never been there before. And knowing that this is, this is private. So you're not going to have other public access, stuff like that. Yeah. So that is hard for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know what? I would probably go in midday on the first day observe my way in and then hunt that night, but we really scout my way in. Yep. Um, and I would hunt that next morning in that same location. So I'd scout my way into a good spot where I can observe a lot yep. and hunt it again that next morning. But if I'm not, if I've not been inspired with significant confidence based off of that first observation and hunt, I would, I would do some significant scouting. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, right that's high risk. You can blow up a bunch of stuff. I still like, I used to, you know, 10 years ago, I used to be very, 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 very concerned about any kind of human engagement. And I thought, man, I bought the buck once. Uh, if I, if I walk through this and blow it up, like it's done, I've got one chance only and done. Yep. Um, but I've just experienced enough times now where that's not the case. It, it really, I do feel like repeated human pressure. Yeah. That'll burn a place down. But a one-time thing, a buck's not going to change his world 
based on a one-time exposure to a human. So if I know this is private, and let's say it's been left alone all month, so I know these deer, they're, they're hunky-dory happy right now. Um, it's also late October, so those bucks are primed up. They're pumped to get, they're ready to go. They're really focused on females now. You know, one time having a guy loudly walk all over the place, it's going to be, like, disconcerting for them that day. But the next morning, they're going to be like, where are the ladies at? Mm-hmm. They're going to be getting after it again. Yep. So you can, I would say you can get away with it. What I would gain in intelligence from that walkabout would outweigh the possible negatives. I've, I've done it enough times where I've pussyfooted my way around and, and not really learned it and then completely missed out on the absolute best place and not discover that until day seven when I needed to leave, you know? Um, it's, it's worth, if, best case scenario, you would do this well ahead of time, right? Yeah. But if you don't have that opportunity, uh, you got to know what you're working with. You need to know the ingredients if you're going to make a good cake. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's, that's what I would do in that situation. So <clears throat> here's a loaded question. Once again, you're just, somebody drops you off 5 a.m. <laughs> you're, you got your saddle, you, like you've got one day, let's say it's, Pack uh, your lunch. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's say it's November 11th. Um, a cold front. So we're winds coming from the north. Um, what well, like what's like where's your, where are you going? Where's your spot? Okay. So full disclosure, in that situation, guys, I'm laying in my bed at ten o'clock at night the night before, mm-hmm. staring at this map, going back and forth in my head for about three and a half hours until my eyelids are peeled up and I've got red eyes and cold sweat. <laughs> yeah. So, so this would take me some time. Yeah. But a north-ish wind, November 11th, I'd want to be old front, the cruising. I'm, I'm, I'm operating on like a downwind the dough bedding area in some kind of terrain funnel. Like there's not a really covered funnel, but there's going to be terrain funnels. I'm counting on these bucks cruising through spots. I'm, I'm keying in on, on like the upper northeast. Probably the upper northeast. Hmm. Just because like you've got a funnel on your neighbors that's pushing deer into your northeast corner. Um, a lot of oxbows in the creek there. You've got that big river up there with some deep oxbows, making me think, man, there's some deer bedded up there and your neighbors. Um, I know does are, you know, I'm sure there's some does that are bedded close to your food plot. So I know bucks are going to be cruising that side too. Yep. But if you hunt too deep, if you've got a straight north wind and you hunt too in the middle of your property, you're just going to blow your scent straight down the creek corridor all day. Yeah. So I wouldn't really be stoked about that either. So I kind of like the idea of being offset and being on like your far east corner maybe and then blow your wind, you know, south of the creek corridor. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man. This is going to make great podcast content when I stand here for, when I sit here for five minutes not saying anything as they well, can through. The tricky part about one of the trickiest parts for us still to this day is access, access. And 
like you can throw a dart at this 80 and be like deer's betting there. There's not like there aren't those pockets like we've, we've like discussed. We've, it's we've all managed thin. it to make those pockets and like it helps a little bit. But yeah, I mean deer could bed on that that timbered 70 acres of the 80 like they're they're throughout yeah anywhere for sure. Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be on either side of that creek along those ridges, assuming that there's deer cruising up and down those ridges. Because of the wind, you know, I, I, you've got, it looks like this is like a pretty substantial long ridge that runs kind of like halfway through and then kind of angling down towards the southwest a little bit. Like that's a big, obvious travel corridor along that ridge. But with a straight north wind, you know, you're just blowing down that whole thing. Yep. And even though I know there's a bunch of does better there and no bucks are wanting to cruise that and check it out, I don't feel confident hunting up there with that wind direction. Um, you know, you could hunt the very southern tip of that, I guess, where it blows into the pasture beneath you, and you could hunt along there along the creek. Um, and that does kind of, you know, your neighbor has a little strip of timber there along the creek that I imagine pinches deer in. So I bet a lot of deer that cruise this creek have to, you know, they cruise the creek on your neighbor's south of you. They all, I bet you, you get more deer entering your property on your southern edge along that creek right there, disproportionately high number of deer are coming in and out along that southern border right where that creek is because of the timber pinch on your neighbors. Is that true? I'd say Mark's probably nailed this the closest. Mm-hmm. Um, you did you, you did get a mark. <laughs> So the northeast corner is, is a spot that everybody's like, I'd be probably in that northeast corner. Mm-hmm. But your your south comment, the when you pointed out that ridge in the the southeast, I mean that's that's bug bedding. Like that is probably our best. Yeah. We find the most sheds. Um, they're hanging out there a lot. We have one of our most active cameras there. Yep. And then where you just last mentioned, you hit the home run. I mean that Southern Creek. That's what. That's how I killed my big buck last year. You, we were, we were set up in a stand right there. Cause we, we ran through the same mind process you just did. We had North wind. Um, we were like, we're going to sit, we're going to sit South. It's probably not our best spot, but it's favorable to a buck moving into our ground. Sure enough. I mean, he came down like basically downwind. Yep. Um, so you can see that where that water comes onto the 80 and then takes a hard, right. That yeah. we were basically sitting where our wind was just going right over top of the water. And that buck was just to the west of that, that creek just coming along that. So our wind, yeah. I mean, we were put, I mean, we, we had wind right just paralleling him basically. Um, so we, yeah. the question, yeah, that, yeah, the question we've asked everybody is one, was he, was he bedded in that, in that little chunk or was it just, we were right place, right time. It was a good day. Like that morning hunt was good. Like there were bucks everywhere. I already had my bow in hand and was grunting because there was another shooter buck we saw chasing does. So was it just right place, right time, or was he potentially bedded out, hanging out um, before that? What was the date? It was November 11th. I would say he could be bedded any dang place. Yeah. But that is the place, like, that seems more like a cruising location. Like, he certainly could be bedded somewhere in that chunk or down that draw. Um, but you know, seeing it, what time of day was it? So, uh, two, 2 PM. Two. Um, so, so if you told me that he was better in that draw somewhere, it wouldn't surprise me, but also would not have surprised me if he was better, you know, quite a distance and he was doing a midday walkabout. That's just such a great, like 
the more I look at stuff, like that's one of your your best locations as far as like uniquely getting them into one zone. Because yours is like a big, wide block of timber, but you've got a couple of these on-ramps, and that's a major on-ramp for proper deer, leaving a neighboring property, coming into yours. Um, so, yeah, that makes sense. I'm glad that what you saw matched my intuition. Um, it makes sense from an aerial perspective when you are able to kind of yeah. think it all the way through. Yep. Yeah. Biggest thing about that, that Northeast, like I, we wish we could hunt that Northeast chunk a lot more. The neighbor is great and he does let us access it from time to time to the North. To like the north. I, I yeah. shot a buck because he lets us go on there and just barely dip into our timber. Um, so that, that is useful. Um, the timber is just hard there. That's like, there's, there's more oaks closer to, I mean, there's some big oaks in that flat, but it's also like in the Northern section of that, that open area or that just the flat area. It's a lot of Osage orange and I mean, you can't get a tree tree stand in there. You could, we've, we've done yeah. ground hunts, honestly in yeah. there, but it's just, it is, it is thick gnarly in there for sure. But yeah, that's I mean, it's a sweet, it's yeah. a really cool area. Yeah. I mean, I can see why you guys like it there and why it's producing for it. Cause it's, yeah. I mean, it. yeah I'm jealous <laughs> it's it's been good we we've killed i think it was a clay that asked us yeah. i think we've killed um like five five bucks in in four years five or six bucks so we it's been it's it's been good we have a lot of a lot of cruisers that we don't see more than a month out of a year um sometimes they come back sometimes they disappear sometimes we never see them again so mm-hmm. um it's good for that with that with that creek they 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 just come on through it is, it is just kind of knowing, yeah. learning our timing. I mean, we don't get a lot of summer picks. Our Septembers are pretty slow, but I mean, mid-October um, on is pretty gnarly. <laughs> but it's also like, yeah. like yeah. we have always people like just hunt the food plots. And one thing that we always talk about is, I mean, the first time we, I think it was the first time we ever sat our bean plot, like ever, I mean, 2019, Tom, Tom shot a deer, like shot a big five-year-old buck in, in the beans. And like that burned us for a few years, like, because we were like, well, that was really easy. Yeah. Like, let's just go into yeah. this property and sit the beans. And then now what I, I mean, besides late season, I mean, 90% of our hunting's in the timber. Yeah. I'm um, just kind of doing what you were saying, just working on just kind of hunting the edge of, uh, edge of what we've noticed that are like a little thicker bedding areas. Um, definitely like kind of being dictated where we sit based on how we can access it because that's, yeah. that's the roughest part of it for sure. So well, your, your, your farm, your timber there really has like a, it's, a, it's like a node and it's a big connecting piece. There's a, mm-hmm. From every corner you have a finger of some sort coming in from the neighbors and right. it, you know, yours acts as like a central hub of that. So, I mean, it's well positioned. Yeah. You, you guys picked a good one. Yeah. That's one thing. Like we looked at the, like basically like 30 mile radius and our, our chunk is just seems like, um, it's one of the just biggest chunks and thickest areas that we, we could have that would hopefully just bring on a bunch of different, bunch of different deer, but you know, you nailed it. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting. We, we get, we get deer to like hang around for a handful of days and then they'll be gone for a week and then they'll come back and hang, hang around for a handful of days. And I mean, we have hunts, that we are going out and we are like, there is a shooter buck 100% on our 80 right now. It just depends on 
how can we get there without blowing this up? How can the wind be all right? Like we know there's going to be more deer in between us and them. And that's honestly the hardest part. Yeah. Um, there's only, there's yeah. a handful like, of days I, I like, that are like that. Yeah. I, I would see this being the kind of place that you get, you, you have to have the right wind, mm-hmm. which is a relatively unique wind to hunt some, to hunt your food. Yeah. Um, and so you gotta be pretty picky choosy with that in the early season. And then it's like, it would be really hard to zero in on any kind of specific thing until you get to that rough period where you can count on them cruising. And, and then you can take advantage of those ridge lines, doe bedding areas you've learned, or those little, little pinch entry on ways. Like I can see it being tricky unless you've got, you know, like a micro food plot yep. camera that tells you like, Oh, big boys here like every other day. Well then, okay. Yep. But other than that, I feel like you gotta, October has gotta be, you, a little bit October must be a little bit tricky yep. in that regard. Yep. Um, because as you mentioned all that timber and tough access. Like like you've said, we've had Octobers where we're like, man, where are the where are the, our trail camp picks at? Like we're not getting bucks. And we've seen, okay, like late October I think we did it twenty ninth one year. We like both of us split up and just scouted. And this was like after having the property for at least two years we were like, we're just going to split up, grab, grab the cameras. Let's just do a huge camera shuffle. We're getting rain. We were like about to get poured on. So we're like, let's just do a big scout. We just like walked a lot of it. Um, and just found that fresh sign. And then I think that was the 29th and November 4th, I shot my buck. So we just like, we, even though we like know this place, we try to like, yeah, not be, we're, we're not the type where we're going to sit the same stands every year. We're going to scout it. Like it's almost like we, we have this, all this back knowledge, but we're like still going to do things differently every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that was kind of a dip. Um, the, the like the first two years we kind of just did things the same and it started to, started to bite us. And we we're like, we need to look at this almost like a public chunk, just have a little more aggression. And since then it's, it's paid off most of the time. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's fun to do too, to kind of look at it with new eyes. And yeah. It's amazing how much you can still learn even after knowing a place for years and years. There's um, the little things that you do discover in year six or seven sometimes end up being the very most important things. Yep. Yeah. Because you're, you're doing some work in the Northern Michigan farm, yeah, right? I was going to get into that a little bit. Yeah. So what kind of things yeah, like, why, yeah, what just... triggered you to kind of do some of that? Well, the situation up there is, is, uh, is unique in that the Northern Michigan property is like a kind of a deer desert. So we don't even have deer passing through, at least not many deer passing through. Mm-hmm. So we've slowly been able to make some very tiny updates. We don't have, it's just so far away from home. It's hard to get equipment up there. Yeah. Um, it's hard to, you know, it's, a, it's a family thing. So you have to get a lot of buy-in from a lot of different people. It's not just like me and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. Um, so it's been like a very slow process to get a little bit of something done here and there. So I've done like a couple little micro food plots in the past and some very, very minimal uh, timber management, but, minuscule um but for a while now, i've known like we need some kind of like anchoring feature to make this place a destination again because it's just it's kind of like that property that we started with the michigan property we started with and that's like just all big timber and marsh yeah. and so like, the only feature there's ever really been has been like that edge between the marsh and the big timber um but there's nothing holding deer in the area there's there's no food for more than a mile around anywhere um there's not very much food in the timber, mostly pines, 
Um, there's some, you know, some maples and aspens and stuff like that, but there's not great oak production anywhere. So there just wasn't a lot to, to, to even be in the game other than just hoping and praying for a random pass through. Yep. Um, and this is a low deer density area in the first place. So the big thing I knew we had to do at some point was try to get like a big food source on here somehow. And when I said big, I mean, relatively big. Um, and we just didn't have the equipment to do it. So I find, we finally were able to find someone who would come in for a reasonable price and do some significant cutting and, you know, mulching and pushing around with equipment. And so we, op- we opened up about an acre, just shy of an acre, I think, um, like what will be our you know destination food source and in this kind of area an acre an acre will stand out from everything else um because there's no ad so yeah we've got like a big acre food plot and then another micro food plot back in the timber and then four or five other places where we had this big mature pine stand that was like a, i mean real desert like no brush yeah no understory you could see across like 700 yards just there's nothing um and so we got four or five big pockets cut in there which will hopefully, you know, there's, there's now tree top structure on the ground and hopefully sunlight will get in there and get some new growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that to provide some kinds of features to give deer a reason to hang out and some, you know, somewhat predictable um, pattern of like how they want to use some stuff there. So I know there's still going to be deer cruising this edge, but now there's going to be a reason for them to move to this mature timber. There's going to be hopefully some does bedding in those pockets we cut. Is going to be a food source that makes sense for deer to be coming in and out from. Um, so, so all of that will, you know, hopefully lead to a little bit more of a reason to get excited to go up there from a deer perspective. Yeah. Now, definitely. So, do you have, I guess, for this piece and and uh, what else, um, whatever else you're hunting, whitetail wise, do you have some some cameras out? And have you seen anything good yet? So. Uh, Yes and no, not much. Uh, we've got just one camera up there on that northern Michigan piece, and there hasn't been much movement there yet. There's been there's been deer, um, but we're not seeing you know other than a couple random bucks showing up there. But there's no real draw yet. Um, you know, we cleared it all out, uh, but all I had time to do before I left for Idaho for the summer was broadcast some rye, and so there's some rye growing in there. Um, just to kind of, you know, start working the soil a little bit. But then there's also just a bunch of random grass and ferns. So it's, it's just kind of like a crap field right now. Yep. Um, so when I get back here in August, we'll, we're going to, you know, get our fall planting in there and hopefully that'll become a real draw then. Yeah. Um, so I'm not worried about that. And then also historically, you know, since we started running cameras up there, hopefully this, these changes will change this, but historically there's like zero buck activity until late October. And then like the rut pulls some bucks through the area, but We've never had any kind of summer activity or early fall. Um, I'm hoping this will start to change that. Yeah. But I'm not counting on things to blow up until later into later into the year. Um, so that's going on down there. I've got. Um, I I did not put up a bunch of cameras in my other locations yet, just because I'm gone all summer. Yeah. Um, and so my plan is when I get back home to really lay the spread the net far and wide. Then at that point, and then I'll start paying attention from August on. Um, I've got one camera that I just left up in one location because I specifically just wanted to see how a food plot was coming along and, you know, maybe get lucky with a buck passing through. And so I've got one nice buck that's showing up a few times there, but that food plot as well is mostly just overgrown with junk. Yep. And, uh, that's not a real draw right now either. So, so really I'm just kind of treading water and, um, it's going to kick into overgear here in a few weeks. 
Nice. So if you can, if you can tell the listeners, what, what do you have for whitetails um, planned out this, this fall? Yeah. So I will be doing a little bit of travel, a lot of local again. Um, you know, we got two young kids. So I'm trying not to be gone too crazy much. Yep. Um, but I do have an out of state trip to Minnesota and Wisconsin that I'll be doing a film around uh, in September. It's going to be like an upper Great Lakes road trip, kind of highlighting, you know, these bigger experiences you can uh, uh, chase down. You don't need to just do like a mission to go kill a big buck and go somewhere just for that. Um, so I'm going to do, you know, I'm going to wrap up fishing and camping and canoeing and grouse hunting and all that into a deer trip and kind of experience a region. Nice. So that's one I'm doing. And then I have three Michigan um, focused areas. I've got some random private ground that I've got new access to this year that I'll be hunting on and just learning that I'm very excited about. Sweet. Um, But I'm not planning on doing like a major content piece around that. I'm doing a big piece around my longtime properties that I've had permission on in Michigan. And, um, we'll be doing filming kind of some of these stories of these bucks I've hunted for year after year. So I'm excited to uh, chase one of these bucks in particular. This will be the fourth year that I've known about them and, and kind of followed along. So yeah, we've got that. And then we've got a hunt up there at the Northern Michigan family camp that I'm uh, really looking forward to. And then a trip out to Nebraska, just a good old fashioned rut hunt in a place that I've got permission that I've really enjoyed. So sweet that, you know, that's it. That's awesome. Yeah. Sweet. We've got a whole host of different stuff for the whitetail side frame, but man, once, once late October and November roll around, we'll be, you know, we'll, we'll be at, we'll be, uh, in the Southern, Southern half of the 80. So, uh, that's usually yeah. our time. We've got a few cameras out. Um, like I said, we, I mean, we get a couple, I mean, just, just some really homebody deer yeah. that we'll get some, some trail cam picks of, but man, that's the one Usually thing. August and September. That's the one thing going for us is finally like we've had the same homebody deer for like the last three years and they're finally five years old. Yeah. So that like I think this is our first year we might be able to shoot something in September, but yep. I don't know. We'll see. For the uh for the people watching on that YouTube, is. I was gonna give uh give some picks that we haven't put out there at all. This is a this is a buck right here. I don't know if you can see in the glare, but he's yeah, uh nice. He's been a typical 10 and we have known him since two and a half and he's five this year. So the first time we'll actually want to, um, fling an arrow at him. Um, we've, we've last year we passed him a few times from the stand. I mean, he was, he was a nice deer, probably like upper one forties, but we just knew that he's a homebody. So if he can survive, we can get a crack at yep. him. Um, I think one of the neighbors, um, told us that they flung an arrow over him. So he's, he's, yeah. he, He's uh, had some experience with hunters, but and then this one is the uh, the other one, who uh, he's like a tall he's yeah. a tall deer. Yeah. We we actually found his match set of sheds um, on our ground, but last year we had pictures of him late September, I think the twenty eighth or 29th, mm-hmm. and then we didn't have him until first week of December, which is weird because the wow. year before that we filmed him multiple times in November. He was yep. around like all the whole summer. Yep. And so we're like, Oh, he's going to hang around. So it'll be interesting if this year he does the same thing and just ditches yep. during uh, October, November, just does an excursion somewhere we don't know about. Um, mm-hmm. But you never know. Well, um, we appreciate the time. That was some great, some great insight. Hopefully yep. folks um, enjoyed that. Um, 
But if, uh, if you're listening or watching, um, send send us your piece, and we'll have experts like Mark um, go over them. And obviously, everything will stay confidential. But um, you'd have a have a chance to be able to have have guys like Mark break down the, like R80. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, yeah, if you're listening or watching, definitely uh, send us your piece. Um, Message us on Instagram. Uh, email info at identicaldraw.com. Um, you can comment um, on the YouTube stuff, um, and we'll get a hold of you. So, Mark, thank you. Thanks for joining, Mark. Yeah, you're welcome. That was fun. Good luck this season, guys. Thanks. Thanks.